Welcome back, Turnkey family. We're your hosts, the Turnkey Brothers, brought to you by Boise Turnkey, and today is episode 16. We are very excited to bring two partners that have grown further together than they would have by themselves. We have Brendan Leach and Baron Hollowell with us today. Together, they started their own company called Everest Capital, and they are getting into the nitty-gritty on how they started partnering, how they started private lending, how they started uh, just growing their business together and finding a vehicle that allowed them to grow further. And we're going to kick us off with a quick tip because these guys are super intimidating. You have one dude that increased his portfolio 4x in less than a year, probably more than that, actually, now that I think about it. And another dude that nonchalantly becomes the biggest food meal prep business in the state and then transitions to something else because that just wasn't good enough for him. So here's your quick tip. Do what you do best and then find somebody else to fill in the gaps. So if you're really good at analyzing deals, that's fine. Go find those deals and you will be able to network enough to find your counterpart that can fund those deals and go on and make this world the one you want to live in. This is a supercharged episode and we're excited to have uh, them on for you guys today. So sit down, relax, get your notepad out because they've got a lot to talk about. Brendan Barron, we're glad to have you guys on the podcast today. We're super excited to talk about the episode and just to really dive deep into your guys' world because it's a world that I feel like not a lot of people talk about and even fewer know about. We're very excited to have you guys on. Uh, but before we get into the meat and potatoes of it, can you guys get us up to speed a little bit of how you guys got your start? Yeah, definitely. So I started with uh, when I got my first job out of college. Um, I moved into a room in Cincinnati, Ohio, renting for about 600 bucks a month, which, you know, wish that price was out here in Boise, but anywho, um, and he bought a house and he just rented out rooms to everyone. And he worked at Procter and Gamble with me. He had a mutual friend through college. So that's how I got introduced to him. And then about a year later he was getting married and I was like, well, I can do that. So I went and bought my first house. Wait, wait, get married. Yeah. No, <laughs> far from that. <laughs> um, and uh, and then I rented out uh, three rooms. At one point, I rented out four. Um, there was an office space that rented out as well, and I was charging same thing, six hundred bucks a month. Uh, my mortgage was like twelve hundred bucks, and I was making eighteen hundred in rent at any given time. And so I had that for five years. And uh, when I moved out to Boise, I kept doing it and house hacking essentially, which um, you know is becoming more and more popular. Over time, Airbnb really commercialized that idea. And, uh, I met a house flipper out here and I started investing money into him and he was paying me 8% on my money that I would invest with him. And eventually I built up a large enough position, um, where I was making about a thousand bucks a month. And I knew for the longest time, even back when I was in Cincinnati, I should buy a second house, but I just like never took the action steps to go do it and kicking myself now for that. But Hey, hindsight's 20. Everyone does it. Oh, exactly. Yep. Um, and so then in November, 2019, the house flipper came to me with a, uh, a deal and he's like, Hey, we should buy this house together. And I was like, fuck it. Why not? So bought that house in November, 2019, then COVID hit. And I was supposed to be moving to Minneapolis to, for my job. And so I was house hunting, I ended up buying a triplex in February, 2020. And then because I was moving out there, I found a deal that was really good by the numbers. So then I bought a duplex in October of 2020 and then uh, found an off-market deal on Craigslist, actually, which is a funny story we should get into. Um, 
and bought that fourplex in February of 2021. Um, and so had those properties for a couple of years, I actually sold out of most of them in 2022 and moved all that money into syndications, which I learned about because one of my old managers actually left and started Vertical Street Ventures, Jenny Gu. Mm. Um, so she became kind of one of my mentors. And then I met Baron, who's in Jake and Gino, and we started talking about multifamily more. And so that's how we started going down the syndication and partnership route and where we are today. And then we can kind of get into some of our partnerships because Matt and I just bought one four weeks ago, six yeah, weeks ago. Yeah, we did. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Yeah, you always go further together. It seems like it's crazy. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. How did yeah. you how did you fund those first deals? Um, <laughs> I mean, the first house five percent down loan, yeah. right? Simple. Second house, uh, I had enough equity, so I rolled the equity into that house and twenty percent down. Uh, so I didn't have PMI, which I wish I never did that, but whatever. Um, and then the third house was the. This one was creative. Um. And because we were partnered, um, I only needed 10 grand to buy it. And I refinanced it a year later and pulled out 175 grand. Um, <laughs> sick. Yeah. One of the better returns, but yeah. that was split. Right. Um, and then the fourth, so the triplex I bought with cash and some of that was with the reload money I was getting from work and the fifth house I bought cash and that was, um, I just had cash from saved up because I hadn't paid house payments, which is usually 30% of people's take home income for years. Right. And, um, and then the fourplex again was just uh, cash and a partner. I want to touch on this a little bit because you talked about coming straight out of college with a W2 job and essentially accidentally found real estate. Exactly. And why I think this is so important is because you uh, took the risk and just said, screw it. Let's just get in and see what happens. Like this guy's making money. Why can't I? And I feel like that's a big pain point for people to get started, especially the people who spend a lot of time reading podcasts, listening to books, uh, trying to, uh, educate themselves as much as they can. They never take the step. You know, it's analysis paralysis where you just said, yeah, let's move forward. Let's, let's do something because you never know what you're going to find. Like you, you what put $10,000 down on a house and a year later, uh, refinanced, you know, you took actionable steps. Yeah. Well, and it's the whole idea of you got to be playing the game to get the home runs, right? Like even if you get a single, that's great. But a great example is my fourplex. It was uh, an off-market deal that I found from some guy in Craigslist, right? I call up this guy and he's like, hey, let's meet in Kuna for a Coke. And I'm like, please tell me you're talking about the drink, not the drug. <laughs> so I go meet this guy and he's like in love with me. It was the weirdest experience ever. Um, but he was trying to sell me this mobile home park over in Mountain Home and it was a 10 cap. And I was like, I just, I just had a weird feeling about it. So then I was actually during COVID in Chicago visiting the girl I was dating at the time, you know, cause I'm not married. Thanks mm -hmm. Matt. Um, <laughs> and uh, um, I get a call from him and he's like, Hey, I got this fourplex owner finance 40 year am at 1% interest. And I'm like, you have my attention. And uh, I actually brought it to Baron and Baron passed on it. I brought it to the guy I was partnered that with. That was dumb. <laughs> Yeah, you were. Uh, I brought it to the the guy I was partnered with on my other single family and um, here in Boise, Tony. And he passed on it. And I just looked at the numbers and I was like, just the equity pay down is going to be a 15% return a year. Like, just that. And so anything that we cash flow is just bonus. And I'm like, where are you finding like consistent 15% returns in the market? I was like, yes, let's move on this. And I could have taken it down on my own, but I believe in diversifying, right? We, they always talk about that in the stock market of diversify yeah. your portfolio. 
And I don't want to have all my eggs into one deal, which is why I love partnering with like good partners on deals. So that way you can buy more deals. Um, and so I found a partner through a mentoring group and he wanted to go in on it. And then it ended up being like a home run deal because 20 months into it, the owners, because they're carrying the note, they got into a cash pinch. And so they wanted to collect on the note and they offered to sell it to us at a 33% discount. So we bought a $605,000 note for 400 grand. So we just instantly made 200 grand in 30 days um, after that, that happened. So we ended up selling the place and we ended up, I think it was like three and a half X our money in 20 months. That, that just goes to show the power of networking, right? Yeah. Answer your phones, take meetings, go out and talk to people, get a coffee and start partnering with people. And because you're going to provide value that that person can't, and that person's going to be able to provide value that you can't. And you just go further and farther together. Yep. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. And being able to recognize a deal, like having yeah. that gut feeling, intuition to mm -hmm. yep. be willing to take something down. Yeah. Baron, what about yourself? Bring us up to speed about okay. uh, how you got to where we're at. So for me, uh, what was I? I was 21 and I started a trucking company and I went to North Dakota for the oil field and I started making good money there. I've always been in the rich dad, poor dad thing. Like my parents made me play rat race, read all his books growing up because I have entrepreneurial parents. Um, and so I went to one of his seminars and signed up for like a three day course thing. And, uh, it just got me thinking, I'm like, I need to buy a house. So I'm 21. Uh, I have like zero credit history. So they made me put 30% down, but I went and bought a house cause I figured that's the route I should take. Um, so I bought a house for 300,000 back then, which that would have been 2011, I think. Uh, which I'm kicking myself now because I sold it. It's worth about a million bucks now. <laughs> um, this house is worth about a million too. Yeah. Um, but it got me thinking, and once I get going, I get pretty obsessive. And so I was out walking my dog, saw another house for sale, but a for sale by owner. Called him up, bought that house. Unfortunately, again, I had to put thirty percent down, and I was renting them pretty well and cash flowing, but. I kind of got sucked into my other company because it was obviously cash flowing a hell of a lot better. And I noticed it wasn't my pathway to freedom, um, single family homes being. And so I started switching my structure of what I needed to do. Um, and then I ended up shutting that trucking company down in 2015. And I started a meal prep company, which is how I ended up getting to Boise, Idaho. I thought it'd be a great market here. Um, I did that for about seven years and uh, it was a great company, um, but I always knew my focus was real estate. And when I moved here, I ended up selling those two homes. Uh, I did pretty well on them, but I bought a duplex on West End Boise in the downtown area here. And so I took that money, rented both sides. I was like, hey, this is great, multifamily. If one person moves out, it's not all of my money like gone and now I have mm -hmm. to pay the mortgage myself, which I really felt was the way to go. And it got me thinking more and more. And that's how I jumped on a podcast. I listened to like every bigger pockets episode. I found more of them like uh, real estate titans, uh, Jake and Gino. And so it made me start thinking, I'm like, hey, the pizza guy, I can do that. Um, he grew a 900 unit portfolio at the time within just like a couple of years. And it was about uh, partnerships really, but I didn't grasp that at the initial point. But I joined the group. Like a month later, I went and bought a 16-unit apartment complex. And the coolest part was I pulled a HELOC on my that original duplex that I bought in Boise to pay mm -hmm. for that apartment complex. That's wild. And so I have zero money out of pocket. 
I went and did repairs myself, and then in less than a year, I refinanced that property of the apartment complex, pulled all my money and then some out, and now I have literally zero money in both my duplex and uh, that apartment complex, and this cash flow, I'm like crazy. Um, and from there, I went and bought a couple more duplexes uh, within like a year, actually, and now I think I'm at 26, 27 units here in the Valley, but I started noticing I can't do everything alone. Mm-hmm. And it's so hard, and you only have a finite amount of resources. Like I'm running out of capital to keep buying more and more properties. And uh, I was listening to a Grant Cardone episode, and he was talking about I want to get for, to a billion dollars of net worth, and he was at 300 million. And like within the next year, he did it because he started syndicating. He started joining forces with all these other people, and he instantly went up there, um, which is I think is a good part of how I. I met Brendan years before that, but we're like, hey, why don't we start diversifying and buying other things and uh, it led us to syndications and being able to jump into multiple syndications instead of, oh, I can only do that one because, you know, it's a hundred grand is the minimum to get into it. I'd only be able to do so many of that route, but if we join forces, we can get into a bunch. Mm-hmm. Um, so we started doing that. We started helping raise money. We started uh, uh, doing joint ventures on our own. Uh, we got that Airbnb we bought with you guys last month. Uh, but yeah, it's it's been a wild ride and it's been super awesome because real estate has allowed me to kind of do whatever I want as in I was able to sell my other company and not worry about a cash flow pinch because real estate made more money. It it, was, it let me be a stay-at-home dad when I don't need to be. like, And so I get to hang out at home with my kid all day and I can you know do everything from the computer or phone, so... There's a lot to unpack there. And yeah, I really want to I really want to touch on some some of these things because something yeah. that isn't talked about too often is that uh there are two different types of real estate investors, in my opinion. There's a passive real estate investor and an mm-hmm. active real estate investor. And a passive investor is somebody who has a W-2 job and they're trying to buy a single family home here, a single family home right. there. And, you know, maybe in 10 years they've got like three single family homes. And and they they're the ones that don't really see the leverage that real estate has. They don't see the potential that real estate has. They just do it because they see others and they're Mm -hmm. just trying to do a thing here or there. And it's not, that is not a vehicle that gets them to the financial freedom that they thought they were going to seek. Whereas you, for example, which is why I love you, why you gave this, why you talked about it was you're a business builder. You built systems. You started off with a trucking company. You got into meal prepping. So you understand systems, bookkeeping, employees, financials, and related that to real estate so that you could start growing this real estate business. It's an active vehicle that you're taking towards your financial freedom. And I want to wrap it up, wrap that package up. What I'm trying to say by you can't expect to get a billion dollar portfolio or a $300 million portfolio by yourself. Mm-hmm. One of our good friends, Brandon Vazoso that we had on the podcast talked about one day, <clears throat> he was giving a presentation. He said, if you want to live passively off real estate, Realistically, you could probably do that with $5 million worth of assets. But if you're doing it by yourself, you got to have a million dollars of cash to get that $5 million of assets. Mm -hmm. Where are you getting this million dollars of cash? Because some people spend their entire lives trying to earn a million dollars in cash. Mm -hmm. So by partnering with people and multiplying the leverage that you have is the vehicle that it seems like you guys have taken to get to where you guys are today. Yeah. Yeah. Um, And I'm a huge... uh believer in delayed gratification. And so throughout those years, I paid myself very, very little for like 
literally 22 grand a year for seven years straight. And I would put all my money back into other investments. And most of it actually went straight to real estate or my other company. And so once I sold that other company off and I actually took all that money, I just put it directly into real estate. I was like, I can still live very slim and keep going. I'm like, great. Now the real estate can start paying me back. And I think that was a a huge growth for me. Yeah. What I love about your story too, is we have a lot of guests on the podcast that talk about how their failure has driven them forward. And your story isn't like a lot of, this was a pivotal moment where I was down in the trenches and like, I just got kicked in the teeth and I had to build myself back up. I'm sure you had those failures, Mm -hmm. but it sounds like a lot of your story is I did this thing. It was successful. It was good, but it wasn't good enough. Like Mm -hmm. I could do better. And I took what worked and I pivoted to something that just worked better. Yeah. Um, And those pivots that you had, it wasn't like you had to, your back was against the wall. It was just like, yeah, this is going well, but it's not well enough. Yeah. Um, which is really cool and really encouraging that you can go and take something to its decide when it's your that end for mm-hmm. that thing and then just pivot into your next thing. Yeah. I'm I hate being content, I guess is the word. Mm-hmm. Like I've had a lot of friends that go to college and I didn't go to college. I high schools, that's it. Um they're like, why don't you just go get a simple job and live normal? I'm like, I can't do that. Um and so I think I'm going to lose my train of thought here off that. Um, I have these companies that I've started and like meal prep. I started that in Utah, but there's a couple other companies out there. And I'm like, the amount of people there isn't enough to give me what I want in life. So I was like, let's take it to Boise. I'm the first one here. I can grow this to be pretty big. I grew it to be about the, I think the largest meal prep company in Idaho, but it wasn't good enough for me. Pretty big. <laughs> Idaho, you just got to be the biggest in Boise. Yeah. You know, we're a tiny state, so it wasn't that great. But it wasn't good enough because the the margins on food is so slim, and you really mm-hmm. got to pump stuff out. And we were doing thousands of meals a week, but it's like, I want to own everything. I want to mm-hmm. own the world. Like, <laughs> how do I get there? And so real estate is really that vehicle for me because you can scale so much faster with partnerships, and it's not like a Joe's Plumbing you got to be really working, hustling to get that to a big plumbing company type of thing. Real estate, I can go buy all over the country or the world and keep growing. And you've got different markets for equity growth, cash flow growth, all these things. So, Okay. So speaking of different vehicles and growing your asset class and partnering with people, I imagine you guys had to have met somewhere in this mix, right? Actually, the same month that we both moved here in 2015. <laughs> the same month. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It was just meant to be. <laughs> I, uh, I met a girl on Tinder who randomly grew up in the same area in Schenectady, New York with me, went to the same college, was a year below me, lived in Cincinnati the same time I was living in Cincinnati, and we had never, she was best friends with like one of my fraternity brothers, uh, brothers, and never in that fraternity brother's brother actually lived with me in Cincinnati, and we had never met until we matched on Tinder in Boise. And so she was friends with our buddy Eric, and then Eric was taking CrossFit lessons with Baron's brother. We met; I think we met at our bar one Probably. day. Probably, yeah. And yeah. Uh, that tracks. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, so that's how we got connected and just kind of both moved at the same time, building friend groups in a whole area. I knew no one here. Um, and I think same for you. you yeah, know? I didn't know anybody here except my brother and my cousin. So Yeah, so we just kind of started hanging out a ton wasn't until 
two, three years later, probably when I asked you to partner on that fourplex that like we both knew we did real estate, but that's kind of what started the idea of the partnerships. And then like when he bought his um, 19 unit over in Nampa, that's when he started learning about syndications, which also was about when Jenny Gu left and started Vertical Street Ventures. And I learned about syndications. And then I learned about AJ Osborne and his syndications and then got involved in some of that stuff. Um, and so it just kind of was like weird how everything just happened the way it should have. Yeah. And we always went to the same like meetup groups like uh, what's that? Boise Young Professionals. We'd always go to that yep. together or uh, that real estate one that Jenny Gu was at. Um, a lot of those Facebook meetup groups, mm-hmm. we'd be happening to always go to the same one. So it's like, why don't we just join forces here? So you were seeing how other people were doing it and you guys decided, well, they can do it. We can do it too, right? Yeah, exactly. basically. Yeah. Okay. Can you get into a little bit about how you started this? Like, did you guys start an LLC together? Did you just buy a house together? Like, how do learning what you learned at the meetups and the education that you got, how did you guys decide to form your specific uh, venture together? So we knew we wanted to get more passive and more passive cash flow specifically. Me, so I could walk away from my W-2 eventually, right? Um, And to do that, syndications were an avenue, but how do you pick the right syndications, right? Like, obviously, you got to vet the operators. You got to look at past performance, but past performance, just like stock market, doesn't guarantee future results. So you got to pick the markets you want to be invested in. Like, there's actually a lot of legwork in picking syndications. So going back to what I talked about earlier, is diversifying, um, you know, helps make it a little bit less risky. But with syndications, a lot of times the minimum is at least 50, but most of them are $100,000. And I don't have multiple hundreds of thousand dollars to invest in syndications at any given time. So that's when we started talking um, and saying, well, if you bring 50 and I bring 50, then we could do two syndications versus one on our own, right? Uh, Sort of thing. So um we partnered in i know i'm in i think a year ago yeah i'm uh, a little over a year ago uh it was december of 21 right yeah i think so because i'm in 10 different syndications across seven different operators um and i think half of them are with you Mm -hmm. so half of them are through everest correct all right so everest is the company that you guys used to yeah so we created an LLC, injection. llc with an operating agreement where it's just an equal 50 50 split um and i mean we have a great relationship so if one of us has capital we'll just loan it to the the llc and pay each other back um i'm actually about to buy out one of his promissory notes because i was like why pay a bank just pay me yeah. um and then uh there's also fun things you can do with that where it's because we own stuff together, instead of paying me, he's going to pay the debt that I owe instead of me injecting capital. So it doesn't actually show on taxes. But you guys are getting rid of the banks altogether. We're trying to. We're trying to be <laughs> yeah. a bank. I hate the banks. Right? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, the whole goal is become your own bank eventually, right? Mm-hmm. Can uh, you can you just do a high level uh, definition of syndications and just overview of everything for the listeners out there and for me, maybe? Yeah. <laughs> and there's because there's private money too. There's GPs, there's yep. LPs, there's JV, JVing. Yep. Like, what does all that mean? And I'll do a shameless plug. If you guys really want to learn more, we both, we co host a Boise Multifamily Investor Meetup Group, and we're meeting on the 27th at Bodavino. So come on down. That's perfect. <laughs> there we go. That plug's not going to last the test of time. But, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, anywho, uh, so syndication is basically a group of people. So there's two. R- groups of people. There's the general partners, which are called the GPs, and then the limited partners, which are called the LPs. 
the limited partners tend to be the capital partners. So they bring a lot of the money to purchase a deal. And when this group comes together, usually to buy a piece of real estate, usually it only makes sense if you're buying something that's like one and a half to $4 million or up, depending on the deal. Um, and so a lot of times the GPs might put in some of their own money, but they're raising money from investors. And those investors, the limited partners, get anywhere from 60 to 80% of the deal, depending on how they structure it. Um, and so that means that the general partners found an asset. Usually we tend to invest in value add, but there's development, there's um, you know triple net lease ones. There's a bunch of different types of these types of deals. There's even short-term rental funds. Um, and they say, hey, we can make money off this. And they go through and run their analysis and say, um, based on their underwriting, they can, you know, 2x your money in five years. That's kind of the standard for a syndication. Um, and then they go and raise the capital, purchase it, and then the general partners operate it, right? So if, if they have to remodel, if they have to build, or if they have to improve operations, they go through and execute all that. And the limited partners just sit there and do whatever they're doing day in and day out, right? They don't even think about it. Um, and then eventually you get an email or you get a check in the mail. And you have cash. Like I got one for four grand last week. Um, As a limited partner. Exactly. Um, actually, combined, I think, because we both got it. But yeah, anyhow. Um, and eventually they'll cash out. And typically they tend to 2x your money in about five years. You also, as a limited partner, get tax savings. And so not a CPA. So talk to your CPA about this yeah. and how this can work. Smart. But I've gotten smart really point. smart about taxes. And I've been able to do some really cool things where I've been deferring a lot of my taxes down the road because of investing in real estate. Um, and so it's a, it's a really good way to do passive investing in real estate. And so like a lot of doctors tend to invest in syndications because they have high net worth. They don't really have the time. They don't want to leave their income source, but they want to continue to grow their capital and they want to diversify outside of the stock market. And so syndications, uh, are a great way for them to do that. That was a great explanation of what a syndication is. If I am somebody who wants to like go down this avenue and try to find a syndication, how would I even find one? Cause you said you guys are in multiple syndications at the same time. And, mm -hmm. and it sounds like some of the syndications you have multiple deals in. Yeah, uh, I would say finding them, it's literally all about networking. You will find kind of the syndicators out there. Um, and then you just start getting on these lists. They start emailing them to you. They'll physically call you and say, Hey, I got something going on. I'd love you to take a look, things like that. And it, uh, what do we, I get sent five a day now, probably. Um, and they're not all great. You really need to do your due diligence and go through them because there are a lot of bad ones out there. Like the one, uh, all over the news right now down in Houston, they lost 3,200 units, um, that went into foreclosure. Mm -hmm. So make sure you vet your operators. And I think of that as kind of like your JV with them as in I want to trust my operator, even though I'm going to be limited and I'm not doing anything, I need to know that they can do their job correctly and see their track record. You can ask for that and like, what have you done in the past few years? What have you done in these situations? Things like that. So, so JVing means specifically a joint venture. Yeah, but you're not joint venturing with them. Just think of it in that realm because you don't want to put money into an investment that could go south. Um, and obviously everything can go bad, but you want to know you have good operators that can ride the storm. A great example is we're invested in one operator that went under a contract on a deal. His earnest money went hard day one, and that earnest money was $500,000, right? And 
um, he never ended up closing. So he lost that earnest money and he raised it from a principal partner and he doesn't have to, right? There's nothing like this part of investing, right? Everything's a risk. He doesn't have to, but he's taking it with his other partners in the deal and they're repaying that principal partner because once you get into this community, it's relatively small. So like mm -hmm. making sure you have a good reputation as an operator mm -hmm. allows you to continue yeah. to doing this into the future. If you burn your investors once, they're probably not going to come back to you. So, you know, do good by them. And luckily the market's been really great for those GPs that they've been able to pay him back. But Yeah, that's, that's great teamwork. So mm -hmm. a syndication, I could start my own syndicate saying, mm -hmm as a short-term rental guy being like, hey, I'm building a portfolio of Airbnbs. Does, these are some of my returns. Then I could just say, is anybody interested? Or And th that would essentially be just raising private money, right? Essentially, um, you just gotta be careful, right? So syndications are highly regulated by the SEC. And so if you are going and raising money for a promise of a return, um, you need a good, it's called a, um, it's called a PPM, purchase some, I don't know, any, get a lawyer, draft it up. Um, it usually costs about fifteen to $20,000 to set up a syndication to raise money uh, in fees. And then how you set it up depends on how you can market it to, right? So there's two types. There's a 506B um, and then a 506C. The 506B, you can't advertise that to the open public. Um, but with the 506B, you can take non-accredited investors. Um, and so an accredited investor is someone that has a net worth of a million dollars or more outside their primary residence or has made as a single person $200,000 a year for the last two years as a couple $350,000 um, or has some sort of uh, professional status that gives them um, accreditation, usually like a Series 63 license. Um, and so with the 506B, like you have to have a pre-existing network and relationship with all the different people um, and you can't advertise it. But once you have that relation, like say it's an email list, you can send it out to the people that you already know um, to see if they want to invest. Or if you do the 506C, um, it's going to be a lot more scrutinized, but you can advertise it, say on Facebook to say, hey, I want to take this um, and bring in investors, but they have to be accredited. That's why networking is so important. Exactly. Yeah. So you're never, you're never going to find a 506B uh, syndication unless you're going to real estate meetups, meeting with operators, getting on their email lists and um, and talking to them about what deals they might have coming up. But you can't <clears throat> invest in those unless you're accredited, correct? 506Bs, you can. Okay. So 506Bs, though, they can't advertise. So say you don't know an operator, like he can't post anything about their deal if it's a 506B. So you're never going to know unless you know the operators and you've been to the networking events that he has this opportunity that you can invest in, or she. Yeah. Mm -hmm. You just have to have a pre-existing relationship that has evidence of you guys connecting via coffee, lunch, emails, texts, things like that. Got it. And that yeah. B, is that still the typical 50000 to 100000 buy-in? It really depends. Um, yeah, so the SEC limits it to, um, if you're doing a 506B syndication, you can only have 36 partners. And so what limits the the size of those deals at that point is how much you're trying to raise, right? Like if you're trying to raise a million bucks, well, it's a million divided by 36 is the minimum. If you're trying to raise a hundred thousand, you know, you could have each person do two grand, three yeah. grand, whatever that math is. Yeah, that makes sense. Because when, if a, a PM or a general manager or a GP 
the general partners out there trying to find assets, uh, they need to have a pool of money ready to deploy when that happens. Yes and no. Uh, when that syndication gets sent out there, they don't they have the asset already identified and everything because that's what they're going to be pitching to their investors. Typically, there are like funds yeah. where they have like an open fund where they raise the money and then they go find the assets. I tend to not recommend people to invest in funds unless they already have the assets identified because when you invest your money, you want to put it to work, right? And so if they don't have assets identified. You don't know how long it's going to take them to find a deal. And I personally don't want to put money into something that's just going to be sitting there and not accruing anything. So I don't recommend people to either. Okay. So that's So to get to where you guys are today, that is a, a great vehicle to propel you guys to achieve some of your greater goals that you're trying to do. Mm-hmm. Um, so let's take it back a step now that we've talked about syndications and let's just talk about like our, our a partnership mm-hmm. or partnering with somebody, kind of like what we did with Stay Estate. Um, mm-hmm. That is just like two people come together, like you two came together, right? Yep. Where you just, somebody brings the funds, the other person finds the asset and you partner up together. Yep. Um, how has that affected your guys' growth in the beginning? In the beginning, uh, obviously, we went the passive route, thinking we can go that way. Um, we've actually kind of re we pivoted again on where we're identifying, and we are trying to do more JV deals because, like the uh, property we bought with you, we like it a lot because it's it's high cash flow. There's only two uh, two entities to work with instead of having to deal with multiple investors or multiple GPs, things like that, and it's. A little bit safer in today's market right now, um, I feel for us, and it's going to be a higher cash flow as well. So, yeah, when you're doing deals together, you have really good eyes on it. Like you say, yep. d- you know, you want to um, do your due diligence with these partners that you're yep. that you're working with, and doing smaller, um, I don't want to say deals, but smaller partnerships, more intimate partnerships, yep. allow for higher cash flow, higher. Um, they're able to find those assets that you're looking for. Yep. It also gives us more flexibility on how we want to manage it too, right? So by doing the smaller deals and keeping them smaller, we can have the conversation of like, hey, you know, let's not refinance this year or let's do it, right? Whereas when you're in a syndication, you have to do what you executed, the business plan and what's in the best interest of the investors. And so like if you get an offer to sell it, right, even though it might not be a good tax year to sell or you might not have a good offer, but you have to act in the best interest of the investors, which is great what you want as an operator you might be selling so the syndications are a little bit less predictable sometimes um and so when you do smaller deals like our little jv i pick up the phone and i call you and i'm like hey like how how to go like what are we doing what do we need to do um and then i think the other piece of it too is as baron and i kind of dove into the syndications i think we kind of put them on a pedestal at the start and then we realized that we know enough how to operate these types of deals um between the two of us and like baron's got his 19 unit that he did he didn't syndicate it he just did it all himself but it's no different than if he did and so it's you know why are we giving away this much of a deal right because when you invest in a deal if you're bringing the cash you're still giving away 30 percent or 20 percent, depending on how it's structured to the gps for running the deal you know how do we keep that extra 30 20 percent and then use that to compound our our wealth yeah, time. you guys have a lot more control over your yep. assets. And I like how you specifically talked about the the selling of the asset or the disposition side mm-hmm. because everyone always talks about buying and acquiring <laughs> assets, but no one talks about disposition. Yeah, exit strategies. So right? that's, yeah. I have the majority of my investments in syndications are in a specific syndication. 
And it's one where they don't ever plan on selling the asset, but they do plan on refinancing it. And so I actually did a a model that if every time they refinanced that that asset, you invested into another deal like it, you would on a hundred grand investment after about fifteen years, you would have reinvested into four other syndications because he plans to refinance every four years. Your cash on cash return a year at that point would be fifty five percent. Um, so you'd be making 55 grand a year on that initial hundred thousand dollars and you'd have roughly about $1.6 million in equity. Um, and so because you're not hit, taking that tax hit, right, where you have depreciation recapture, you have capital gains tax, which on a two X return, um, you know, you're probably going to be in the 40% tax bracket that actually knocks that two X return down to about a 1.6 X return. Um, if you sell in five years, you know you just able to compound that over time and, and keep going. And that doesn't even include if that first refinance happened in year four, maybe year 12, he refinances it again. And that's only upside from there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Getting into the numbers and the, the detailed side of why syndications are good or not good based on, especially like taxes and, and multiplying your money. I feel like that's a whole nother conversation that we could talk about, but that's <laughs> right. why we're all in real estate in the first place exactly. right? to figure those things out. Yeah. And you're definitely going the opposite of passive, especially with this last offer that we put in. Like we're talking about moving in together and spending the whole summer re, re, uh, <laughs> reinventing this house. I, I was going to say rehabbing, but it needs more than a rehab. So, yeah, Matt and I put an offer on a house today. Other Matt and I, we put an offer on a house in Florida yesterday, two days yeah. ago. Yeah, yeah. Um, so yeah, no, definitely still buying in this market and. Um, but again, right. Like when you look at the numbers, a lot of times we could do better than two Xing money in five years with some of these deals we're finding. Yes. Buying in this market. So let's talk a little bit about that because one of the things I love about partnering with people is you could have somebody, and this could be anybody, any of our listeners out there today who has spent a lot of time educating themselves, running numbers on properties, underwriting deals. Like if you are really good at what you do at it is too easy to to network with people and find the capital that you need to go buy these assets that are still performing today because you are doing your due diligence and your job as a general partner in this relationship to find assets that are 2xing like that florida deal we were upwards of 56% annually which right. was huge you know but it's taken me years to get to where we are today in order to find assets like yep. that and it's taken you guys years to raise capital and raise funding to get to where you guys are. So when those two pillars collide, mm-hmm. you know, you get this vehicle that can really propel um, the two halves to do more than what they would by themselves together. Yeah, that's a good point. We probably have some listeners out there that are smarter than us. Yeah. Going through looking at deals every single day, trying to like find the deal for them, but they just don't have capital. Yeah, they, they can't close have, it, right? Yeah, they call don't have us. a way to exit. Yeah, exactly. I think call us. One of the biggest things I've seen in a lot of the networking groups is analysis paralysis, and I love how we all combined. You know, you're underwriting, you're finding these. Me and Brendan are like, we trust your gut. We know you. Let's go. Um, there's no questioning. Um, we just we want to act, and I think that's how you can get to the next level. Yeah. And I know for me too, right? Like I tend to defer to more passive activities because I still have a W-2, which that's a whole nother story. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> I'm well known in local and national real estate circles as a certain investor, but any um, like my job just offered me equity. And so I'd be dumb to walk away from that, which sucks as much as I'd like to get out of the W-2, right? It provides me a lot of capital to go invest in these types of deals. Um, and then if I have equity in the company, that's a whole nother story. 
But um, uh, where I was going with that is, you know, Baron talked about analysis paralysis, and like I shared earlier, how I went from owning one house for nine years, and then I bought four more in the next nine months, and um, and including multifamily. And when I bought in Minneapolis, I thought I was moving there. And, you know, I bought the duplex after I bought the triplex. And the triplex, I was intending to live in one of the units and rent out the other two. Um, so the numbers on that one didn't make the most sense. But I was planning on living there, and I want to live in someplace nicer, right? So, yeah. like, yeah. Um, but on the duplex, though, the numbers made sense. And I realized from that experience that managing properties, especially smaller properties from afar and working with property management companies, it's a pain. And, um, and so that's where it's like small properties. I don't have any interest in investing in like a small property from afar, unless there is someone that has a vested interest in that prop property that's owning it. And, you know, that's one of the ways we set up the deal with you guys, right? Yep. Um, is, uh, you know, you guys have equity ownership, so you're treating it like it's your property in the best interest and maximizing interest. Um, and you know, works for us, works for you. Yeah. Let's talk about that a little bit because. A lot of the gurus you hear talk about specific ways that you can partner, like, you know, we do 50-50. We try to make it fair and even for everybody, whether it's good or bad or indifferent, doesn't mm -hmm. matter. We try, we, we build a relationship and not the, the, the legal aspect of it, because some people will say, oh, you shouldn't give half of it, or as a, as a manager, you shouldn't give half, or as an investor, you shouldn't give half, like you should do 60-40, or you should do like, you know, it, the investor shouldn't be paid, the general, uh, manager shouldn't be paid out until you reach like 8% cash flow and then they get a cash flow percentage based off of that or you're just making it too confusing you're never going to get started. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Exactly. And and then you go you take all like the fun and the luster out of it. I feel like if you get caught up in if you get a caught fair up deal. in yeah, a fair deal or what or who what is fair, you know? You if you get caught up in the numbers and who's making what, then you lose like your bros like we were out mountain biking and we literally went from mountain biking to go look at this house and then the next morning we're putting an offer in at that time somebody else with another deal that i've been working on for a couple months hits me up and he's like hey you still want to do this and in probably 30 minutes we're like let's buy both i there you go i think it comes down to you know a scarcity mindset versus abundance mindset I tend to live in the abundance mindset. Like there's always going to be another deal. There's always going to be more money to be made. I'd rather create like lasting relationships in my life and do deals over and over with someone than try to get greedy on one particular mm -hmm. deal. Exactly. Um, because I'm not in it to make, you know, a killing on one deal. I'm in it to make a killing on multiple deals over the long haul. And I want to, I also, I always say like, I don't want to end up at the top of the mountain alone, right? I want to be up there with all my friends because it's really boring when you're by yourself. Yep. Um, and so like, how do I bring others up with us and with me? Um, so that way we can all like, you know, go have a yearly meeting on a yacht out in San Diego or whatever. Right. Um, being on a boat by yourself is really boring. Yeah. And with that, the more people who are making money in your team on your group, the more money you'll have to go do deals with. Exactly. Mm -hmm. Yeah. 50% of something's better than 100% of nothing. Yep. 100%. Yeah. I feel like we could keep talking about this for hours and I wish we could because there's a lot to unpack when it comes to partnerships and deals. And I really appreciate having you guys on to talk about some of those things to our listeners. But before we go, before we break out of here, for each of you, we always like to ask what's one thing that our listeners could do today, an actionable item step that would get them closer to their goals tomorrow. 
Um, I would just say act. Um, you know, damn just, it, he stole mine. Yeah, <laughs> just jump. Uh, and how I've always done it, I you know I get obsessive about whatever whatever I'm doing. So you know, if you're obsessed about getting this short term rental or whatever, do it. Don't just overanalyze it. Just pull the trigger. Yeah, make the mistakes because they're yeah. going to happen. Yeah, and, we've made so many mistakes. And you're going to learn more along the way. Even if you say you make negative a hundred bucks a month, you still learn way more doing that actionable step than just sitting there from the computer and not doing it. Yeah. People are always afraid to lose money in a deal and sometimes it happens, but the knowledge you gained from doing those deals does not go away. Yep. And that compounds as you do more and more deals. Exactly. I had a, I had a friend that just closed on a deal that took months to go through. We all know her. Um, and there was a one point when she was asking my advice on it and you know, I just told her, let's go back to the numbers. The deal makes sense. And she was like, yeah. And then I was like, go for it. And, you know, she was running into hurdle after hurdle after hurdle trying to get this deal done. And luckily it was a friend of, of a friend seller, kind of like our deal was. Um, and so he was super lenient with like being able to get this done. She was able to get it done. And, you know, I'm excited to see where it is in six months, but it becomes one of those things where, you know, go find the people that are doing the work, find a mentor that, um, you know, can help push you in the right direction. Cause she almost walked away. There's, Everybody but me was telling her to walk away from this deal. And I was like, it's still good numbers. Go for it. Right? Yeah, she's going to learn so much, too, doing this. Because yeah. this is her first deal, right? Exactly. Yeah. First, like, big deal. She had a house that she rents out yeah. house hacking. But again, like I did, I started with one house and then bought four more, right? And so once you get that second one, it's like you're kind of over the hump. And now it's, like, not as scary. And yep. so exactly. it kind of goes back to what Baron's saying is take action, whether that's finding the mentor that's going to push you or, you know, just going buying and learning as you go. It's hugely important. That's awesome. Well, if people have more questions or they want to reach out to you guys, um, how can they get a hold of you? Um, just Instagram, I think would be the easiest. Uh, it's just my name, Baron Hollowell. You should probably spell that for them. B-A-R-O-N-H-O-L-L-O-W-E-L-L. Yeah. Uh, message me on Instagram. I'm usually most active there at BSFL89. Um, and then eventually maybe we'll get a website. Nice. <laughs> nice. Yeah. We'll, we'll plug all that in the description below. Yep. Yep. Yeah, definitely. Great. Well, thanks for coming out. It's been a pleasure talking to you guys and, uh, look forward to doing more stuff like this in the future. Yeah. Let's do it. Can't wait. Let's get on uh, in a couple months and talk about the updates of the properties Let's, we all have yeah, together. Good. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Coming back to see how partnerships evolve over time. That might be pretty Perfect. cool. See how many more uh, doors we have or whatever we're doing. So yeah, love it. All right. Well, Hey. Thanks again for coming on. It's been a pleasure. Thanks Thank for you. having us. Hey, everyone. We're the Turnkey Brothers, and thanks for tuning in with us today. Guys, make sure to bump up our algorithm with those likes, subscribes, share it with somebody that you think would benefit from this episode. And don't forget to follow us on your favorite social media platforms at Turnkey Brothers. Till next time.